Welcome to On to Mox with F.P. Wellman. I am your host, Fred Wellman. Well, the entire Congress is back this week and it's been every bit as crazy as we expect it to be. Uh, with just a handful of days left to pass critical spending bills, the Republican-led House is instead eating itself alive with infighting and a bizarre impeachment decision. On the Senate side, we had, I mean, <laughs> we had to suffer through John Neely Kennedy reading dirty stories, which is a whole new level of bizarre thanks to the Republican caucus in the Senate. Um, to call it a clown show is probably offensive to clowns. But here we are. So now we're hearing the special counsel is indicting Hunter Biden for gun charges from 2018, which will give even more red meat to the right wing propaganda machine. So, you know, in the end, um, I stand by what I've been telling you for a while. I still stand by it. We are on the right side of this battle. Um, we have the right direction going. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, but I tell you over and over, if you watch the show regularly, that we are winning and uh, we just have to have faith sometimes when it doesn't feel like that. So the best part is, having said that, I have the perfect guest <laughs> and I've been wanting to get him on for a while to talk about that. So let's not waste time. Let's just get to it. Let's hear some music. All right, we're still here. I am still Fred Wellman, the host of On Democracy. You're in the right place. Joining us on the Myers Touch Network. I hope you'll like, subscribe, share, share, all those things. Leave a comment. As always, I remind you, I stay up Friday night to hang out with you in the show posts. So make sure you say hi. I hope you can join the show as soon as we come on. Chaos reigns in Washington, D.C. And meanwhile, Joe Biden's flying around the world, building coalitions, making deals, getting stuff done, as well as his government. I think we just saw a story that every one of his cabinet secretaries have agreed to stay for the remainder of the term. I want you to just, I know that sounds weird to worry about that kind of thing, but just think about that for a second. We have had so little scandal and so little upchange and changes and, and turbulence that it looks like Joe Biden's entire cabinet will last his entire first term, which is just remarkable. I Frankly, I'm in my almost 60 and I'm 58 years old and I don't remember seeing that in my lifetime. So it says a lot about this administration, the way they manage things. So having said that, I'm thrilled to have one of my favorite voices of reason join the show this week, Simon Rosenberg. He's the founder and president, uh, was the founder and president of NDN, New Policy Institute, center-left think tank in DC, He, uh, which really did a lot to modernize center-left politics in America. He writes the popular Hopium Chronicles substack, which I am a paid subscriber to, and he's the guy who predicted the 2022 red wave would not be anything but a wash. And so, Simon, thank you, sir, for joining this show. It's great to have you on the Myers Touch Network again. Right. It's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great. So, you know, I, you call your newsletter the Hopium Chronicles. And if you guys, if you're gone, Substack, if you, if you haven't subscribed, you really just need to. I know you're growing fast. Um, it's literally my favorite, all my, the many Substacks I read, and that's up there with Heather Koch Richardson and our guest, previous guest, Ruth Ben Guiat, John Delavolpe was in there too. Um, why'd you pick that name and what drove you to launch something focused on hope? Um, you know, it really came about from what happened in 2022, um, where, you know, I was Tom Bonnier and I and Joe Trippi and there were a handful of us were arguing that this was going to be a close competitive election and not a wave election based on data that we were seeing. And at the end of the election, um, when people really started paying attention and my analysis started getting spread widely through the Internet, there became a little bit of a backlash among some of the commentators who get paid a lot of money to <laughs> explain to you how elections work. Yes. Um, and it became a, a source of ridicule of me mm. where I had hopium. I was smoking hopium. I, I was delusionally optimistic. I wasn't just optimistic. I was delusionally optimistic. And it was used as sort of a slur against me. Yeah. And I decided to embrace it. 
in the work I did after 2022, because part of what happened during that fake red wave, when virtually every media commentator in the country fell for a story that was not true, and it was not only not true, it was the opposite of what happened. It wasn't yep. just off, it was the opposite of what actually happened. We ended up bringing the intensity in 2022 and outperforming expectations out the Republicans. And I, it really changed me as somebody who's been in the media business and the political business my whole adult life. Yep. I became more convinced of the power of the right-wing noise machine to bully the mainstream media into following its lead. And, you know, the power of Fox News and all these other organizations have created a deeply pernicious cycle, I think, in our in our political system where, you know, they can, through their repetition and their reach, you know, sort of push and bully memes and stories and ideas into the mainstream. I mean, I often use the example of the fentanyl and Halloween candy story that was spread all before Halloween a year ago, which was a completely invented and made up thing, but it became a major story in our country right before the last election. And so I decided that I needed to fight harder and more effectively than I was doing, that I became alarmed at this growing power and that if our democracy, if we were going to make sure freedom and democracy prevailed here in the United States, that I needed to do more. And so I shut the organization down that I've been running for many years, which was a 501c3, c4. So it had limited speech. There was just, yeah. I couldn't be full on partisan. There were many things I couldn't say, but I wanted to say, and I have moved my work to Hopium Chronicles, um, a substack. And the way I describe Hopium now is that I describe it as hope with a plan. Meaning that in 2022, we didn't just hope the election was going to be better. All of us went to work to make it so. We changed the future through our hard work and grit and determination that we did. And so to me, what hopium is, it's hope with a plan. And I think that the final point, just to be responsive to your question, is I have come convinced that one of the central strategies of MAGA is to spread negative sentiment in our discourse every day to make us feel bad about our democracy, our country, our institutions, our our leaders, each other. And that part of the way we have to respond and defeat MAGA is by putting more positive sentiment into our discourse. I like to believe that one of the things I try to do is to give people permission to love their country again and, um, and to feel good about this remarkable place that we're all part of. And, you know, I think this has become urgent work. It's why, Fred, you do what you do. It's why Minus Touch does what it does, right, incredibly effectively, which is you're helping tell a better story about America than many of us often hear in the mainstream media every day. And this is a necessity, I think, not just so that we feel good. You know, it's not like just a feel-good thing. It's a strategic thing, is that to defeat MAGA, we need to put, we need to respond to their negative sentiment with positive sentiment. So... Um, I spend a lot of my time really telling, spend, living in a hopeful and positive place and not in a place where I'm watching 87 videos of Marjorie Taylor Greene every day, which I don't know that we ever need to see another video of her <laughs> the rest of our lives because we already know what she's going to say, right? Yeah. I think there's a little bit of almost like doom obsession and a little bit of obsession with their, you know, the animals, the crazy animals in the zoo. We yep. need to move beyond that, I think, if we're going to be effective and win in the coming years. 
Yeah, Greg Sargent, I think, has a post. It's called the GOP Doom Loop, if I remember correctly. Is yeah. I mean, He just came out with it. You know, Greg Sargent's previous guest, actually twice guest, and, and that's it. So they create a doom loop. They create this sense of, of, of impending problems. And, and it does, it impacts a lot of ways, right? It does impact, I think, perception. And what you said was very key is it does, it makes its way into the mainstream, the other media uh, who feel like they have to acknowledge these other, these bizarre things. Um, on, on our way here to the studio, uh, President Biden was giving a big speech about the economy and apparently even MSNBC was actually talking over a speech about the gun indictment for Hunter, right? So I mean, right. we can't even we can't even get the truth out effectively through channels that are you know supposedly um, at least friendly to the, the truth, right? Um, and I think it's impact, right? Do you see that as, that part of it is what's affecting so much? When you see um, you know polls that say the economy is is worse than it's ever been, and Trump and Trump could do a better job yeah. of it, that is that pernicious effect, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I think that. You know, I, I tell the story that um, Navigator polling, which I use a lot, which yeah. does is a consortium of center left pollsters, puts out polls every two weeks, strongly recommended to your audience. Yep. Um, very fact based stuff. Yep. They did a poll in January 2022 where they asked voters um, not about how they feel, but they asked them a fact question. Right. Which right. is were more jobs created in 2021 than 2020. And in 2020, we, the country lost 3 million jobs. And in 2021, we created more jobs than any year in American history. So this was kind of an easy question, right? right. Um, only 20% of people in the, in the United States knew that more jobs were created in 2021 than 2020. And I often say that's like in 1946, only 20% of Americans knowing that we won World War II, right? right? I mean, this is like a, it's as if they don't even understand any longer the country that they live in and what's happening around them. And so I do think this kind of pollution of our information ecosystem in America, which is the whole reason you're here, Fred, right? Yeah. Is to respond, is to fight back against that, is become dangerous for us, dangerous for our democracy. Because if Trump's argument and MAGA's argument is that everything has failed, right? Everything has failed then that creates the predicate for a radical politics and for extremism. Extremism right. needs the sense of collective failure in order to, you know, to spawn. And it's why we have one of our strategies has to be to remind voters about how well things are going, that our economic recovery from COVID is the best of any G7 nation during Biden's presidency. We've had the lowest unemployment rate, uh, peacetime unemployment rate since World War II, the lowest uninsured rate, the lowest poverty rate ever recorded in American history. You know, I can go down the list of things. It's critical that we keep repeating these things because many Democrats don't even believe them yep. because we've become so battered, you know, by decades of this right wing noise machine that we've lost confidence in our own data and our own discourse. And, you know, and one of the stories I like to, one of the things I do to ground myself every day is I have these three kind of touchstones that I start with in my work, which is Joe Biden's been a good president, period. Mm -hmm. The country's better off, period. The Democratic Party is strong, period. No commas, no howevers, no buts, right. you know, no semicolons, right? I'm not qualifying it. These are just declarative sentences that are true. And we have to get more confident in being able to speak that way without saying Joe Biden's been a good president, but blah, 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 blah. And all right. that stuff that we bring in is then doing MAGA's work for them, right? Yep. We have to get much more confident about just speaking our truth, telling our stories, you know, because that's the stuff that isn't being heard adequately. And it's one of the reasons I'm love to be here. Cause I, I think that Midas touch is become one of the most important and powerful 
institutions uh, in American politics today uh, for those of us on the center left and who are fighting MAGA every day. Yeah, that's exactly why I came over, um, and 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 you said it very, you said it very clearly, right? It is, it is, it is. We happy declarative, and and on that note, do, do you think there's also you think there's a backlash on the left, especially that we don't want to be. It feels like a lot of peer, a lot, especially on the center left, we don't want to be cultish on our own, right? <laughs> like, like there's, like there's almost like this, there's almost like a a, a pendulum switch yeah. where we don't want to go. So, like we we had the Trump, the insanity, you know, the make America great, but but the the left on their on their hand fears that they're going to be seen the same way, right? So there's, there, we're always couching things for that reason, right? Even when they're true, right? We know Biden's doing a good job. We know the economy's improved. Do you, do you think there's any kind of you know that there's sort of almost it's a backlash? It's an interesting way of 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 thinking about it, and in my view about this is that I come back to these sort of basic truths, which is that those of us who are in a position of influence where people listen to us for right. how many, five people or uh, you know, 10,000 people, yeah. we have an obligation to tell the truth to our fellow citizens, bottom line. Yep. Like that is our rock bed like obligation in a democracy yep. that we have to not, not in any way, by the way, downplay the threat that MAGA represents. One yep. of the ways we have to tell the truth is not to in any way sugarcoat uh, or put lipstick on the Trumpian pig or whatever you want to call it. They're a direct threat to our democracy, the most serious threat to our democracy in American history. Yeah. And we need to be clear-eyed about that. But we also need to be clear-eyed about the things that are going well and and you know and not be shy about you know, um, bragging, you know, in a, in a, right. in a smart way, because if we, you know, it's the old line, right. You're in St. Louis, a soccer hub. Now you can't <laughs> score is. unless you shoot, right. No one's going to know that we've done good things unless we tell them. Right. And, and so in politics, you actually have an obligation as a political leader to have honest communication with voters because voters deserve to understand what's happening in their own country. And so you're not actually in any way sort of bragging or being, you know, sort of cultish, you know, I, I, yeah, cultish. You're doing what's required for our democracy to function properly, which right. is democracies require, in theory, people to have information to make intelligent decisions. And what's happening is that's becoming harder yeah. in the current social media age and the right wing noise machine and the flood of you know, poisonous information in our discourse every day. And so, you know, what we're doing, I think at its core is deeply patriotic, frankly, Yes. Um, because we're showing respect for our fellow citizens and working our asses off to make sure that they understand, you know, that they have information that we think is truthful uh, for them to make up their mind for whatever they decide, right? I mean, I in a democracy, you can't dictate outcomes. All you can do is make your case and hope it goes the right way. We've got to be more forceful and aggressive and understand that we have to be, you know, find new ways and, and compelling ways to make our case every day. And it's what you're doing here, Fred. Thank you. And I, I think it's, it's and a sentiment matters, right? I think, I think too often we think, well, you know, opinion doesn't, you know, so what people think the economy is bad. It translates to the economy being bad. I mean, you see that, you see yeah. that with company. I, uh, my, my family, uh, my, 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 my daughter and her, her mother own a, a small business. The struggles a bit because the people are, people really think there's a, there's a, they keep hearing there's a recession coming. They keep hearing, yeah. well, it, it's, about to break, you know, and when and they they do when and when they believe that we know this, it's basic. Yeah. It's not even econ, econ one hundred and one. We learn this in our economy, our, you know, our economy classes that sentiment will lead to action, right? Yeah. And so it is. It is deeply patriotic to say, hey, no, 
it is going well. We inflation's coming down, uh, and it, what like this month, what this week, our friends in Saudi Arabia are trying to raise prices again, right? Yeah. We know that. Um, we have to be honest about that because the sentiment does hurt our fellow Americans. Uh, when people are afraid there's going to be a recession, they won't spend their money at the local small businesses, right? And 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 then it becomes a self fulfilling cycle of belief yeah. leads to action, action leads to failure, and we become it's a doom loop. That is a doom loop right there of another kind, right? So I do. Yeah, you're right. We have to tell the truth in every way we can, and and beyond honest about it and arm them with the truth. And I guess that's one of the things I, I say is, is you know, the poll numbers and the lies that rubber people are accepting is, is a great demonstration of it. I mean, and you said it, how can we, and I've seen you speak about this before, you know, how can we as average Americans, Democrats, followers of this show, make that difference? I mean, find the facts, spread them out. I mean, what's the best tool to do that, you think? Yeah. So listen, I, I think this is a really important conversation and I and I appreciate it. And you're a practitioner. So, you know, I, the way I talk about this is that I worked in the war room 31 yeah. years ago with James Carville and George Stephanopoulos. I was a young guy, but I was in the in there getting yelled at by James uh, <laughs> every day. And as we all did. And um, and, you know, the, when you think of the war room, you think of like 20 sweaty kids drinking Red Bulls, producing TikTok videos. Right. <laughs> But I think we have to think of the war room now as two or three million proud patriots who love their country, who are amplifying, who are networked together and amplifying positive messages about Joe Biden and the Democrats. And that yeah. the, ma the math on this is that, you know, Tucker Carlson in his heyday reached three million people a night and was the most influential commentator in American politics. Imagine if one million people reached 10 people each every day. Yeah. That's 10 million people. That's three times more than Tucker was reaching. And I think we have more power and more agency to influence the daily discourse in America than we understand. I mean, oftentimes when I tweet or I'm speaking, people will say, Simon, why isn't the DNC doing a better job at uh, messaging yes. or Joe Biden? And <laughs> I give sort of a JFK response to this, which is don't ask what we can do for you. What can you do, right? How can you make a difference? And I think on my Substack which has a great community features. There's amazing conversations about how people are being big citizens and yep. contributing to their country on there. It's my favorite part is that my favorite story is the stories that people tell. And um, a woman, I think her name was Irene just a few weeks ago wrote that Simon, I was out to dinner with three friends of mine and they're all Democrats and they all spent the first 10 minutes just dumping on Joe Biden. And I took your materials, your information, your data, and I told them about it and I talked about it. And by the end of the dinner, they were all excited about the Biden presidency and they were on board. So she flipped three people during dinner, right? And it's a sign that if we all do that every day, if we can flip one person, right? If we can, you know, develop a community of 20 people who then have this, have positive information, they spread it through their networks. There's so much power in that. Yeah. And I, I think it's something that it's part of the reason Midas Touch has exploded, right? So right. much, which is that, you guys are giving people valuable information they weren't getting in other places and it's spreading, you know, virally and, you know, um, you know, all across the country. And so I, I think that in the, in the near term, in addition to new media organizations like Midas Touch and Substacks like mine, which are multimedia yep. and allow you to do very innovative things in media, yep. to me, the way we're going to make the greatest progress in not allowing them to continue to be able to bully us and push us around is if millions of people decide that they're going to engage daily in our discourse as information warriors yeah. and do a little bit every day to spread positive messages and positive information about Joe Biden, the Democrats, the country, whatever it is, right, about yeah. abortion. The, the issue is immaterial. 
It's about positive sentiment. It's about spreading it. It's about, because the way you counter, you know, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about what happened in the war room. The war room wasn't about rapid response. The war room was about going on offense and winning the information war every day and then responding when you were attacked, right? right? And the way that you deal with disinformation or attacks is you have to fill up the zone with positive information first, which makes it far harder for those attacks to be effective, right? You gotta go on offense and stay on offense. We are just fundamentally not on offense enough as a, as a center left movement. And we have to learn new tricks. We are very good at winning campaigns, right? People do their work, they write their postcards, they make their phone calls, they do their texting, they do the canvassing, they give money. We're outperforming all expectations and campaigns and it's amazing. But we now have to do the second thing, which is we have to spend a little bit of time being in the daily, just you know, fighting it out in the information war every day. And I think if, and I'm giving everyone who's listening and watching right now permission <laughs> to be an information warrior. I'm granting you permission based on my bulldog over my shoulder here. Tug, <laughs> Tug has given you permission to become an information warrior. The water's warm. Come join us. Help, you know, um, fill our discourse every day with more positive sentiment and truth. It's really important. I love it. And, you know, it's funny. I, uh, my background, for those who may not know, and you probably don't, is I actually started off as a, uh, I was an aviator in the army. And then after the Iraq invasion, I ended up getting switched over to public affairs, which means I was a messenger. I was a, a spokesman for the army, a couple of famous generals. And immediately I was very frustrated because I felt like the army, especially at the time, especially in Iraq, was doing what I call defensive public affairs. Now, what you just said is like, we're constantly reacting. If you watch any, any and yeah. by the way, all government does this, not in defense of the army, every government agency does this, is they wait till a bad story comes out, then they try to respond and they wait till Friday night. You know, the, the news cycle, Right. And and I, I I used to coin the term quite often, we need to go on offense. We need to have offensive public affairs. And people look at that go, guys, like, find the story, tell the story. You know, we, we have yeah. when I was when I was running when my last job, my last job in the army actually was running the army's internal news network. And one of the most wonderful stories we were able to put together was a young woman who decided to run go into Miss America. She was a National Guardsman, right? But at the time, the Army was having trouble recruiting women because they, they didn't feel like they could be Army strong. And we said, like, yeah. no, look at this young woman. She is a combat veteran, and she's going to get a nurse. And you know what? She decided to be Miss America because she can. <laughs> you know, and we and we told this yeah. story, and, and it was a, the idea was to give women a permission to start to say, no, Army strong also means doing what you love and, and succeeding at that, chance yeah. of being Miss Utah. And, and so I think that's why I, so I'm a big a proponent. It, and it's a big proponent why I say, now and that's why i wanted you on the show so bad i was like we have to go on the offense we have to tell our story effectively we can't wait to keep reacting because the, the, our opponents on the other side of the aisle are always going to be throwing out something every day it's some it's this it's the spaghetti in the wall it's the steve bannon yeah. flood the zone with bs right then that, that is yeah. that's what they're going to do we could waste countless days and hours in the rest of our lives trying to respond to every crazy thing that comes out of the right-wing ecosystem. On the other side, we need to be more effective at telling the story very directly and empowering those who have the strength. Like, look, I don't want President Biden down in the trenches. You know, It's not who he is, no. right? Okay. But you know what? Arm me with the info and I'll, I'm more than happy to do it. <laughs> you know, yeah, Guys like us can do it, right? There's, you know, there's, there's sort of a cardinal rule of politics, which is that if, if you're not on offense, you're losing. There you right? go. And yeah. it may be similarly in the military, right? I mean, that, right. you know, if you're not setting the tempo, if you're not d dictating the terms of the engagement, right, then you're losing and you're ceding it to others. And we have to get, we have to learn 
how to be louder, to be more aggressive, to fill out the space. Because when you fill out the space, it's harder for them to get into the space. It's harder for them to pull you and push you around, right? Yeah. And they're big bullies and they've invested lots of money and they're much louder than we are. They're not better than we are. They haven't been better for the country, but they are louder. And we have an obligation to close that loudness gap you know, in the next, uh, in the next 14 months, it's really, it's both strategically and tactically critical that we do. And possible. I think that's a great place to take a sponsor and break. Um, and just, we'll just take a pause. Um, so we got great sponsors this week, our friends at Rocket Money and Fume, and we will be right back. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. And I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo or a wacky message board. No, we're talking about our sponsor Fume and they look at the problem in a different way. Now, not everything in a bad habit is bad. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of an electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. And instead of chemicals, Fume uses all-natural, delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing anxiety while breaking your bad habit. The first time I used fume, I was shocked at how flavorful and fresh it tasted. It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced and quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up and I feel pretty cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to fume is easy, enjoyable, and honestly, even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. There's no reason that can't be you. So join Fume, accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Now, head to tryfume.com and use code FRED to save 10% when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code FRED to save an additional 10% off your order today. You know, if you've watched this show for more than a minute, you probably already figured that I'm kind of a hot mess. I don't know if it's my ADHD, being busy, just being a stereotypical guy. I have a hard time juggling my bills, my work, my family. And one of the most challenging aspects of all this is keeping track of the many things I've subscribed to over the years, you know, from people's sub stacks to streaming services to gym memberships, newspapers. I sign up for things, I put down my credit card, forget I ever did it. If you're like me, subscriptions are draining your wallet. That's before I get to all the free trials I signed up for over the years and never got around to canceling. They end up piling up and taking a chunk of my budget just about every month. I guess I'm not alone with this issue. I was shocked when I found that over 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. I mean, seriously, think how many times you've signed up for something and then never canceled it. That's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money. It even recently tipped me off that I'd actually paid too much money on my capable and alerted me to the price increase so I could keep track of it next month, all on one app. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. You know, most people think they're spending maybe $80 on subscriptions, when in reality, the number's closer to 200 And when you sign up for so many things like those streaming services I mentioned just to watch one show or a free trial for a delivery that you don't use ever again, it's really easy to lose track of what you're paying for. And with Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. If you're like me, I hate sitting on the phone all day trying to convince people to just let me cancel service I don't want. Well, with Rocket Money, there's no more long hold times or annoying emails of customer service. Rocket Money takes care of it all for you. They can even negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20% 
20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So finally, you know, Rocket Money also lets you monitor all your expenses in one place. It recommends custom budgets based on your past spending and they'll send you notifications when you've reached your spending limit. With over 3 million users, Rocket Money customers have saved an average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things like you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Fred. That's rocketmoney.com slash F-R-E-D. Rocketmoney.com slash Fred. And start taking control of your finances today for free. And we're back. Man, I love our sponsors. I appreciate you guys being part of it. I would love you to shop our sponsors. Um, they're terrific. I, I wouldn't be here with them if it wasn't. Um, and so, I mean, I wanted to pick up on that. Something we, were kind of, we, we dabbled around a little bit in the in the first half is this polling. I, I, I actually did a piece this week for Midas Touch about, you know, my God. I mean, what was it? Yes, this week there was a poll that said 70% of Americans trust Trump more on the on the economy. It's like the, the crazy things coming on these polls. And, I, and I've been saying that it's, it's I mean, I guys feel like maybe talk about a poll about our general election, which is 14 months from now, is literally like trying to have a, a solid fantasy baseball team, not for this <laughs> season, but for next season, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> not just this year, but next year, you know, and, and it, cause it's, it's just, you're just making stuff up at this point. Um, what should folks understand about these dire warnings and these sky is falling polls on Biden yeah. and Democrats in general? So there are two things I would say. One is the most important thing is that polls never predict anything. They only tell you about where things are right now. Right. And so they're, they're not predictive. I mean, because something is what it is today doesn't mean it's even going to be that a week from now right so they are snapshots in time they're sketches they're not paintings there's you know they are there's a lot of inaccuracy you know three four five points of uh, margin of error right so they're sketches that you can't view them as definitive or as detailed they're just a sketch and yeah. at a moment in time and and they're signals they're not they're not determinative. And the second thing is when you read polls, what's important is not to let any single poll push you around, but to see trends and, you know, and to see if things are all pointing in the same direction. And the truth is right now, not everything is pointing in the same direction. I mean, the majority of polls that have been taken in the last few weeks have Biden ahead in the race, not behind. Yep. Um, and they're not, you know, but it is a close race, which is not, shouldn't be surprising to anybody for the following reason, which is that, Right now, we are in a place of what I call asymmetrical engagement, meaning that the yes. Republican coalition is deeply engaged in yes. politics. They have a primary. The voting is soon. There's money being spent. Candidates are traveling. They have to make up their mind. Trump, no Trump, right? Or right. Some, a sec second person. And their leader is being challenged and potentially with imprisonment and jail for having betrayed the country. And so if you're a Republican, you're engaged and in polling, what happens is when you're in, you know, they when they poll, they pick up more Republican intensity. And the Republican coalition, let's say, is at, you know, almost like a general election level number now, right? Because they're at 45, 46%. I think that's going to be Trump's high watermark next year, is my own view. Yep. The Democratic coalition has no reason to be engaged. We don't have an election going on. No. You know, we don't have a primary. We had a summer. We didn't have an election. And so our coalition is still soft. It hasn't congealed yet. And so the fact that we're ahead in this moment in most polls, given asymmetrical engagement, as I call it, is a really good sign. The second thing that matters, what Tom Bonnier and I did during the last cycle, was we introduced additional data in addition to polling that we had to 
look at to evaluate where we were. We added the special election results that were happening around the country, the ballot initiatives, voter registration numbers, early vote numbers, the amount of money that was being raised. And so let's just take what is to me one of the most important indicators of where the election is right now because in 2022 right we did better than what was expected and in 2023 we've seen exactly the same election as we saw in 2022 we've won in places we weren't supposed to win like colorado springs and jacksonville we won the wisconsin supreme court race by 11 points right we won in ohio with 57 percent just a few weeks ago but 538 just released an analysis that i had not seen um which According to them, there have been 38 special elections in this country this year. Democrats have outperformed our the, the partisan lean of the district by 10 points. Wow. That's a huge number. Wow. That's a big number. That's a giant and, number. And that shows you that when people vote, not when they poll, not when they answer a poll, when they're right. voting, that intensity that we saw in 2022 is showing up again and again and again all across the country. And that's not necessarily being captured in the polling. And so if I could look at any set of data that was going to tell me where things are, the data of how people are polling and it's all pointing in the same direction. And that direction is sort of the same direction it was pointing in in 2022 because it's the same election, which is that Joe Biden's been a good president. The country's better off and they're way too crazy and nothing's changed from a year ago. And so we should be heartened by this data, by the wins that we continue to have. But I think if you, everyone wants to keep that momentum, right? Right. The, to me, the highest priority in the next few weeks is going to be in Virginia, you know, where yeah. early vote starts on the 22nd, you know, a uh, week from Friday, right? Yep. Um, a week from, you know, this coming Friday. Yep. Um, and where any of you, if you're thinking about giving money, volunteering, making phone calls, canvassing, anything you want to do, I, my recommendation is you need to do in Virginia. That's the high stakes race this fall. It's going to be very close. Your work and money can make a huge difference. Um, and not only will it prevent Virginia from becoming, uh, you know, it's the only Southern state now that has access to abortion. Not only will that go away, but it'll also bloody up Glenn Youngkin. So we make sure that he doesn't become a potential alternative to Trump at some point down the line. Yep. The stakes in Virginia are very high. Yep. I agree. And and you said something I think I saw either online or maybe in the Hopium Chronicles today was how important the early vote, man. I'd love you to explain to our yeah. passionate father. I, mean, I thought it was such a great point you made about why voting the first day you can actually matters more than waiting. So there's been a big change in our system. I mean, I don't think commentators talk about this no, enough. No, it was I mean, one of the first things I've seen it, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, no, early voting was not a thing up until right. recently, right? Right, right. I mean, people, you know, people voted by mail if they weren't able to vote on election day, but the Democratic Party was an election day party. Yeah. Republicans actually were an early vote party. They threw mail. They used yep. absentee ballots, and Karl Rove actually created that for them decades ago to yeah. sort of push... And the way to think about our two coalitions is that there are more Democrats in America, but we have more episodic and infrequent voters than Republicans do. They turn out at higher rates than we do. So the issue of turnout really matters for us more. And the way that we did turnout historically is that, you know, let's say you have three sets of voters. You have your voters that vote all the time, a second set that's in the middle, and a third set that you're not sure are going to vote at all. We would call and canvas the people who are voting you know the prime voters they call it in the morning and then the middle of the day we would go to the second group and the third you know the latter part of the day we'd go to the third group with early vote now 
we can be hitting those second and third groups 10 days before the election. Yeah. Um, we never, ha- we have new tools to push our vote to the upper end of what's possible. We've never had before. Yeah. We have the phone calling and the texting where you can be calling into democratic voters in Virginia, for example, from California, yep. from Missouri, overseas from, Democrats you know, abroad. <laughs> yeah. Democrats abroad. <laughs> and we, we couldn't do that before. I mean, you could take money and export it to a state. You couldn't take your labor, Yeah, but those, that, that technology that developed during, COVID has become really consequential because it means that 100,000 people can volunteer in Virginia, not just 20,000 people. But the early vote, the key here is that the way campaigns work is that when you vote, um, you uh, every night or sometimes twice a day, the people who run elections, secretary of state or whatever it is, release to the campaigns the the list of everyone who voted that day not how they voted but right. that they voted yep if it's a ballot if it's an in-person thing and then the campaigns take you off their gotb roles and right. so they don't call you they don't text you they don't go door knocking and so if if democrats if large numbers of Democrats vote on day one, which is what I'm calling for the national day one you know campaign yep. when you do that it means the campaign now can move on to secondary and tertiary targets of people who are less frequent voters immediately. Yep. Meaning that it actually creates more Democrats. So when you vote early, when you vote on day one, day two, within the first few days, you're actually increasing Democratic turnout. And let me just do one more visualization of this, right? So yeah. let's say there's 100 Democrats who are voting and it's in those three groups, you know, likely, not so likely, not likely at all. And on first on the first day, and the campaign can only reach twenty people a day, right? Yep. And on the first day, twenty people vote. That means that second day they're already moving into the second group, right? And so when you vote early, you're allowing the campaign to reach people who vote less frequently, which increases democratic turnout. This is one of the reasons why we have been performing at the upper end of what's possible in election after election in yep. recent years, is because we've now shifted our politics yep. to be an early vote party. And it's having a huge impact on a coalition where we have more voters that don't vote as much. And so calling them and texting them and canvassing them and door knocking them can make a huge difference. And if I can make one last point on this in Virginia, where this is most important are races like in Virginia, where it matters the most are races or off year elections or special elections with a gap between the presidential vote and the vote in the election is the biggest, meaning that there's a big pool of Democrats who are not sure that are going to vote. Yep. If we can call every one of those guys, right, we're going to push turnout and we, and we can now, right? Yeah. Like we can now reach everybody because we have 10 days to reach in Virginia. It's six weeks to reach it's them. It's incredible. Right? Yeah. So our expectation is the turnout in Virginia is going to be very, very high. The final thing is what it also does. And I know I've gone on a long time about this and I'm going oh, to get this shorter. I want to talk about it. It's <laughs> the first time I've hey, talked it's a about podcast. it. That, yeah, yeah, I got I it first. <laughs> so the other thing it does is that, you know, in those people who study campaigns, there's this concept of getting people to vote through what's called social pressure, yeah. right? That they know that people down the street have voted. That's why you door knock. Hey, I'm voting. I'm active. You should be too. Well, imagine what the social pressure is if you're reading in the newspaper every day or hearing in the radio that lots of people are voting. Right. It's this, and so it creates what I call a virtuous cycle of participation where people see other people voting. It gives them a permission structure to vote. It reminds them every day that people are voting. I need to vote too, right? Yep. So pushing the early vote in these early days and getting a lead in the early vote 
is really important for us in Virginia. It's really important for us next year. It's really important for us everywhere. And it's why we keep performing, doing better. It's one of the central reasons why Democrats keep doing better than everybody thinks we're going to doing. We were going to do because we have new tools yeah. to push our vote to the upper end of what's possible. And it's working again and again and again. And so it's exciting. And it's why, you know, if you're a loyal Democrat and you're listening or watching today, you know, we need a national strategy of, of day one, what I call vote on day one. All of us who are loyal Democrats, however you vote by mail or in person, yeah. try to vote on day one it will increase turnout and make it more likely that we win. I love it. And I'm one of those guys in Virginia. That's one of the favorite, I was my favorite things about Virginia is the early voting. And I do it here in Missouri as well. It's just, and it's very efficient. It's quick. It's it's more convenient, by the way. You just- Way more you convenient. Know, in Richmond, it's way you more convenient. George on the election board, you walked right in. I don't remember actually voting on election day down there. I always, I always walk in and and they just make it so easy to their credit. It's one of the things I'd love about that state. And even Missouri was easy, you know, it's, and it pays, you're right. It pays off as a campaign guy. I, I was a campaign advisor for two, like, uh, two campaigns last cycle. And yeah, it's huge. The, the data that produces for us and the idea. I mean, we would sit there and say, okay, we're way behind. I mean, also these things for, so for you guys to understand, listeners, is we have all this data and we can say we're way behind in Dallas, Georgia. Or I'm way behind in Richmond. I mean, I, these precincts just or aren't with young out. people. Right? Or, or with, with young, young people. people. I can call up yeah. my call. I call my friends at Voters of Tomorrow. I mean, the data that yeah. comes out of their early vote and allows us to target yeah. our, our coalition and get them out is, is astronomical. That's why I really want to have this conversation with you so it's, people understand. Well, it's friend, not just it, a convenience. The way to think about this. So what we have to talk about is it's vote on day one and yep. then election day we now have to think of as the last day of voting. Right. 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 Just the last day of voting. It's not election day. It's the last day of voting. I, I I love that. And that's a great place to segue into your mission of getting to 55. You've made that kind of your key mission. You know about you, and you've identified key constituency which within the Democratic coalition that they should be courting uh, to get to that important strong majority. I mean, who who do you to, to and, and and one I guess first question explain to our viewers why 55 percent is what you you call it your mission 55 percent. Yeah. But two, what are those coalitions you're looking at that we we need to be paying attention to? Yeah, this is. Um... So I was very involved. So first of all, some basic stats, right? Okay. So um, when I got into, when I go, went to go work for Bill Clinton in 1992, we had lost five out of the six previous president, presidential yep. elections, three of them by enormous historic margins. Yeah. The only election we won from 1968 to, to 1988 was the Jimmy Carter election after Watergate, and we only won by 50.1, right? So when I went to go work for Clinton, part of the strategy of the Clinton campaign was to make Democrats competitive in presidential elections again. And since when you, when you include the 92 election, we've now won more votes in seven out of eight elections. No American political party has done that in American history. It's wow. the best popular vote run of a political party in American history. But from 1992 to 2004, we averaged 47% of the vote. And then I and others identified two rising coalitions for the Democrats, Hispanics and millennials back yep. 20 years ago, yep. and said, if we build a politics around these new parts of the electorate that are growing, we can expand our coalition. We can grow, grow our vote. And we saw that happen in the 2006 midterms. Obama you know, embraced this theory heavily in his campaign in 2008. And in the four elections since 2004, we've averaged 51% of the vote. We jumped four points. That 51% performance over four elections is the best run we've had 
since FDR's presidency, wow. right? And yeah. if there is a majority party in this country, it's us, not them. It's a center-left yeah. nation, not a center-right nation. Um, so I began thinking a few months ago about how do we, is there a way that we can make this election where we win by so much that it's seen as a massive repudiation of MAGA, which would be the best thing for the country, for us, and frankly, for the Republican Party too, right? To start to loosen the grip of this extremism over the Republican Party. Because all I think our goal is we all want a normal center-right party again. We don't want to be worrying about our democracy falling, yeah. slipping away if we uh, have I, one stumble. I, I say election, often, right? I'd love yeah. to argue tax policy again. The good old days. The good old days, right? So, the, so what I've done is I've come up with this idea that because we did so well in the last election, because we've now had three consecutive elections where we've had really strong performances, that the Democratic Party is strong. We're winning they're, yep. you know, we're united, right? Yep. They're not united. They're fractured. They're losing. They're weak, right? And and it's not the way we think, right? We often are guided by fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And it's a mindset that when, you know, you know from having been in the military, if you're winning, then you keep trying to win and take more territory because the other side is weak and losing. And yep. so, there's a mindset of expansion and growth that you need to, in order to win right? and, and to keep winning when you're winning. And if you don't have that mindset, you can lose opportunities, right? Yep. You can, there can be things that are available to you that you don't take advantage of. So what I've been really pushing since March is this idea of expansion and growth that we're strong. We need to keep taking away demographic and geographic real estate that they have. And that's what we've been doing in 2023, we took away Colorado Springs and the Wisconsin Supreme Court seat, and we took away Jacksonville, and we keep taking stuff away from them because their extremism is creating opportunities for us to reach voters that were just never available to us before, both yeah. geographically and demographically. And so my view is the greatest sin we could commit this cycle is by not having the ambition of going from 51 to 55% and really trying to make this a blowout election. Yep. There are four groups that I think we can make gains with, and there are more than four, but there's four that I started with, right? Because yep. rural voters, there's a long list, but I think there are four that we have to be looking at. One is young people. Second is Hispanics. I think we can gain a little bit back that we've lost there. Third is never Trump or never MAGA's former Republicans where imagine Liz Cheney endorses Joe Biden and creates this permission structure for Republicans to yep. temporarily vote with the Democrats. This is what's been happening in recent elections. It's been very important. You know this from the Lincoln Project work that you used to do. Yep. And then finally, the politics of abortion, which is yes. splitting the Republican coalition. And I think all these four areas create openings for us to gain a point or two. Well, you add up a point or two times four, you're now talking about four to five points, right? right? Biden won the last election by four and a half points. Now we're up by nine or 10. I just told you earlier that we're averaging in the in these elections in 2023, we're beating our partisan lean by 10 points, right? Um, so we just got to 57 in Ohio. We just got to 56 in Wisconsin. Incredible. In 2022, we got to 59 in Colorado, 57 in Pennsylvania, 55 in Michigan, 54 in New Hampshire. We're continuing to perform in the mid to high 50s in battleground states when inflation is too high and Biden's approval is too low. And so we've had remarkable performances. And so my challenge to the family is to it's a man on the moon project right like right. you can't get to the moon unless you try to get there <laughs> we need to get 55. i'm ecumenical about how we get there i've laid out ideas but i think the single most important thing we could do 
is launch a national youth voter registration drive. And as I show in my analysis, if you take the 2020 numbers and you leave everything constant and you change one thing, which is to make the under 45 vote vote at the same percentage as it is in the population, which is not a crazy thing, right? right? Um, then Biden wins by 10 points. Wow. Make that one change. And so yeah. to me, the highest priority, we have two big priorities as we head into 2024. We need to, as the president is trying to do this week, to win the economic argument with the Republicans. We need to get into positive territory in the economy. Right now, they're ahead of us. It's too important an issue to be behind. We need to go use our all information warriors. Job one, right, is to go win the economic argument. The second thing is we need to launch a national youth voter registration drive to push youth turnout through the roof um, and to give us, because it just, we shouldn't accept the fact that people who vote for us the most vote the least. Yep. They should vote the most, right? If we want to win. And I think we have the money, the power, the time to do something deeply meaningful. And people ask me all the time, what, what do we need to say to young people to get them on board? Why don't we start by saying, we want, we're going to be spending a lot of money because we want you to vote. We want you to be part of our system. You matter, right? You're important. We're going to make your ability to go have your voice heard in an election paramount to everything. You're the center of our politics, not the periphery. It's a powerful message. And it's something that I hope we do collectively in the next few months. Yeah, and it's been a joy seeing you know President Biden focus on that. Uh, Kamala Harris right now is doing a tour of colleges. Yep. I mean, the videos coming out of her college visits are start, you know shocking. I'm an advisor to uh, Voters of Tomorrow. Um, we had David Hogg on here a couple of weeks ago talking about his new mission to recruit more yep. uh, Gen Zers to run for office. I mean, there's really a powerful movement coming out, and the numbers are on our side. We, uh, I was in a meeting with a pollster just recently, and she had done an analysis of showing how uh, the Gen Zers, especially, are registering to vote faster at double the number so not just matching yeah. as boomers pass away and leave, yeah. leave but doubling that number too so it, it is going to be a very different electorate in 2024 than anything that we faced in 2016 or 2020 uh and that there's hope there's ah back to that word right we circle back yeah, how about that i mean pretty, the, pretty good at this stuff he's circling back to hope I mean, <laughs> you know, well, listen what you're saying is because you advise voters for tomorrow and yeah. victor and i are good friends yeah. and and um I would just say that, you know, I get asked a lot about, you know, Biden's old, how's he going to reach young right. people? I mean, think about what the Republican agenda is, right? Let's yeah. just, I, I wrote about this this week. Jordan Reed had yeah. me on to talk about this a couple yeah. months ago. It's great. What the Republicans are literally for right now is they're for a warming, a warmer planet yeah. and rolling back all the climate gains that we've made. They're for more guns more dead people, more dead kids in schools. Yep. They're for that. Yep. That's what they want, right? They are for young people having less bodily autonomy yep. and having more young women die in hospitals due uh, to uh, mis un unable to treat miscarriages. Yep. They are for COVID running wild and disrupting people's lives and having economic setbacks like we had before. Ron DeSantis is already fighting the new vaccines. Yep. They are they're for ending our democracy. Yeah. And, and Vivek is for stripping the ability of 18 to 25 year olds to vote. Their agenda is opposed to everything that young people care about in America. Yep. And, and so we have more tools. We are at this unprecedented historic opportunity to bring young people into our coalition.
And shame on us if we don't have the ambition, the smarts, the strategic intent, the resources to go do this, because I don't know that we're ever going to have an opportunity like the current opportunity to bring young people into our coalition and hopefully keep them there over their lifetime. Because I really I I just think that, for example, this the issue of abortion, if you're a 25 year old couple in Texas, there's now it's now likely or let's just say it is now true that there's a higher likelihood that your wife is going to die if she has a miscarriage because of the Republican Party. And I don't know that you're ever going to see the Republican Party in the same way, again, given that it's literally had that level of impact on your own life, that you're sitting here thinking that my wife may die. I just wrote about today a new poll that showed that a third of women in America have either delayed child, you know, getting pregnant or know somebody who has because of the uncertainty of the healthcare system in the United States. So it's delay. I mean, this, these are huge, big impacts yep. on people's lives that have been caused by the Republican Party. Exclusively. And so I think we have more tools today than we've ever had to bring young people uh, into our into our coalition. And it starts with this basic premise, right? Is that for all of their extremism and all their craziness, which is incredible and it's historic, as I said on a Lincoln Project uh, podcast last week, is that their awfulness is historic. It's an historic level of awfulness for an American political party. But also Joe Biden's been a good president. The country's better off. And he's led us through very difficult times of COVID, the Russian intervention, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and um, an insurrection and political uncertainty in America. And it could be, you know, he's old, but it's possible that given the challenges ahead of the country, we were lucky to have had such an experienced person come into the White House during a time of enormous challenge. And so I feel deeply confident, given everything I just said, that we have the ability to not win next year, but win big. Yep. Um, and to make this election a clear repudiation of MAGA, which will hopefully start loosening its dark grip on the Republican Party, which at the end of the day is are this the thing that's really binding our coalition together is this idea that we have to raise our game up because the threat has been elevated and that we have an obligation as proud patriots, people who love our country, to keep fighting with everything we got. And as Fred, as you know, what's so affirming for you and I is that we know there are millions of people fighting with us every day yep. and who are, you know, and I have been blessed and, and I feel so lucky to have been able to be around and speaking to some of these groups and the love of country, the patriotism that I feel when I talk to these groups, it's just, it's what gives me the superpower that I need to keep going every day um, because I feel that I've got to do my part because they're doing their part. And so it's an exciting time to be in this. It's a terrible time, a threatening time, a horrible time, also an exciting and deeply rewarding time because when we come out the other end of this, American democracy is going to be very, very strong and renewed through this awakening that I think that's happened all across the country. And we're handing to a generation that's engaged. I mean, going back that you, you know, that, that that cares, who has fought for it and fought, literally fought for it. And and that was what was inspired and talked about, you know, talking to David Hogg, talking to Victor Xi, talking to Santiago Mayer, uh, that, that these these are young men and women who are are recognized the dangers of their future uh, and said, you know what? 
we're not waiting for you guys to fix this. We're going to, we're going to do it now. So with that, so what a great place to kind of uh, end our conversation. So I mean, I, I really appreciate it. And then, and then my final note is before I let you go, I'll tell my, and my followers here again. And it's one I say a lot, because every time I tell people we're winning and we have hope and all, I always caveat that at the end because they come at me is, but that's only because we keep fighting. Um, yeah. You know, in 1864, um, Lincoln almost lost the election because many people in the union thought we were losing the war and we won it six months later uh, because we kept fighting because Grant Grant wasn't paying attention to polls, <laughs> right? Yeah, Grant Grant was well, fighting to the end, you know, and uh, and um, and that's we, we will win, but we, we have to fight. We need more Grant in our daily exactly. lives. You know, right. I, I, re I remind everybody here that hopium is hope with a plan. Yep. Now, plan means you have to execute on it. You have to right. fight. Right. And the thing is, we can have the election that we all want to have next year but only if we do the work. There it is. Yep. I mean, I, I remember I was, when I was a young officer in the army, uh, my last war story of the night and, uh, and, 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 General Sullivan, I believe it was, was the chief staff of the army. And one of his big catchphrases was hope is not a strategy. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm, hope I'm, with the strategy is the answer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, it's, that's why I talk about hope. Exactly. Plan, right? exactly. Yeah, you know, you need to. So listen, Fred, thank you for all that you do. It's oh. really been a pleasure. I'm a big fan oh. and it's really been great to be with you today and happy to come back whenever you need me. When oh. you need a little dose of hopium, just there you go. Call and send the bat signal up and I'll come running. You know? <laughs> You're in trouble, man. I, I do. I make those calls. So. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the audience going to love it. And, and again, we remind you guys to join us Friday night as we're walking. If you're bored when you Friday night at 11 uh, Eastern time, make sure you check it out because our audience leaves lovely comments and I love talking to them. They're always surprised Great. to hear from us. So thanks for joining me so much, Simon. I can't wait to talk to you next time. Thanks, Cheers. Fred. <laughs> what a great conversation. I That was one of my favorites. That was a blast. And we learned a lot. Day one, folks. Do you, do you understand? So think of it this way. Imagine if we could in the old days on election day, every hour get a dump on how many people voted and then go, oh, my God, there's not enough people voting in downtown Atlanta. There's not enough people voting in downtown St. Louis. We're going to that's where we're going to put our volunteers. That's where we're going to run an ad with early voting. We can actually do that now. And we get a daily dump says, oh, man, we bad turnout here. You're helping your candidates and those campaigns you support be more effective, be more efficient, be more competitive. And, and then we win. We win. And so I, I just, I'm, I'm so glad we got to that conversation. I'm so glad Simon was apologizing for going along. Like, no, no, don't apologize. So, hey, look, I, I, what a great show. As always, please join us. Um, you know, make a comment. I love hearing from you. Um, I know I talk fast. I do apologize. I, I swear to God. Matt's back there sitting with me, I promise. <laughs> um, hey, no F-bombs this week, Matt. So we're <laughs> so no, you don't get to criticize that this week, y'all. Um, man, what a what a we are winning, and you have to have that faith. But like we said, it, it means you start to fight. We have to have a plan. Hope with strategy is the key, and we have it, and we're doing it. And you see people like Simon, you see people like um, um, David Hogg was on here. You see the people I'm bringing on for you guys: Crystal Quaid from Missouri, uh, Jess Piper with Rural Voters. You see the theme I'm trying to present to you, my dear dear friends and followers, is that we are winning. But it's going to take work and you can be very effective in the people you support, the campaigns you support and get out there. And it's more than just money. OK, it's more than just giving a check to your favorite pack. It really is making those calls. You can phone bank from anywhere in America to your favorite campaign. You can send postcards. You can make a difference. I believe in you. I believe in us. I believe in the Midas Mighty. I believe in the followers of Onto Marks because you know what? 
We're on the right side of history, damn it. We're on the right side of history. And you and I are going to win this. We're going to take our country in a direction that we can hand these amazing young men and women who are coming up behind us and give them the country they fucking deserve. Uh, damn, I did one. But that's great. So having said that, thank you so much. As always, I hope you'll check out Forgotten Democrats. It's super easy to join. It's a great movement. Simon's going to join us, I hope, one of these days. Uh, it's Fred. Just text Fred to 33777. You'll learn about how we're actually giving money to candidates. You're not just giving to a PAC that's going to spend it on ads. The money you give to Forgotten Democrats literally is divided amongst actual nominees for the Democrat House of, of, of Representatives. So please join us there. In the meantime, you can find us everywhere. FP Wellman, I'm still on X slash Twitter because there is an argument to be made. There's a battle to have there of love and threads. If you're not on threads yet, I'd love you to join. FP Wellman Official, my official Instagram needs more followers. FP Wellman Official there. On Democracy Pod on, on X slash Twitter. Everywhere you can find us. I'm, I would love for you to download the show on audio platforms, Apple, Spotify. Like, subscribe. If you're here on the Myas Touch Network, tell your friends, share the videos. We would, we, we'd love to get more. I'd love to break 200,000 this week. Let's, let's get all those views, folks. Join us. Keep up the fight. I'm just so happy to be a part of this community. Thank you to our sponsors, Fume and Rocket Money. You can check them out. In the meantime, have a great week. Keep up the fight. Can't wait to see you again next week.